Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you'll find links to everything. Uh, Audio only, stream, links to the podcast, links to the social media sites where we simulcast the radio show every day, and so much more. Good morning and welcome to the program. You'll also find us broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator from all the way down in uh, Unalaska, uh, Dutch Harbor, down on the, uh, down on the, down on the, 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 the peninsula, the uh, arm. There you go. That's what I was looking for. And of course, uh, all the way up uh, through the peninsula and up into the interior, Kodiak Island included and more. It is the Michael Duke show. Hello and good morning, my friends. How are you? Are you ready for another beautiful day? Uh, to uh, yesterday was actually a very, very beautiful day. Uh, turned out to be bright and sunshiny, and I was like, "Where have these been all summer?" I mean, it was really, really a nice day. So uh, enjoyable. And uh, got a lot of stuff done and feel pretty good about it. And we're back here again. Ooh, catching up. Tomorrow's Firearms Friday. So we got a lot of stuff coming in tomorrow as well. Looking forward to that. Uh, quick week. Uh, again, the benefit of the long holiday weekend is the four day work week on the other side. So kind of exciting. Kind of exciting to watch and to see what's going on. All right. Well, what's happening this morning, and what are we doing on the uh, what are we doing on the old program? Uh, well, we're going to start off this morning with a bunch of headlines, a slew of headlines of various things here, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit um, about uh, some of the stories that are going on, including the meltdown that's happening in the middle of the city of Anchorage right now. I just don't even know what to think about what's going on in Anchorage. And we're going to talk about that as the, as the, I don't know what, somebody said the red on red violence uh, going on inside the city of Anchorage where conservatives are eating each other. Um, Or I don't know, maybe is it supposed conservatives? I I just, I can't quite tell. Anyway, we're going to, we're going to tell about that. Uh, we're going to tell uh, and see what's going on, um, and we'll see what she has to uh, see what they have to say about everything that's happening in the uh, Anchorage area. Plus, um, of course, we've got uh, news stories about the uh, University of Alaska and um, the ballot measures and a new mining initiative that's getting some investment and more. So we got a lot of that. That's all in hour one, and then in hour two. Um, is uh, our two is going to be uh, Senator Shelley Hughes. She's going to be joining us uh, in our one. We haven't talked to her in quite a while. And so we're going to talk about, I guess, past, present, and future. We're going to talk about what happened during the uh, final days of the session. 
get her hot take on that, the last session. And, uh, you know, what does it mean for us as we move forward? What is she focusing on? And then, of course, what she thinks is going to be happening in the upcoming session. So this should be a, this should be a should be a fun discussion. Should be a great discussion in hour two with um, State Senator Shelley Hughes. So big, 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 big show uh, lined up for us uh, this morning uh, as well. Um, looking, uh, whew, looking like it's going to be a, a big one here. All right, <clears throat> so let's dive into it and uh, and get started, shall we? Start to talk about some of the stories that are going uh, up and around and. Uh, have been happening and to get a little bit of a flavor for what's uh, going on. Uh, I found some interesting things. First and foremost, did anybody else see, sorry, this is more of a visual story than anything else, but I had to chuckle. Did anyone else see the um, picture of the GCI building, excuse me, the GCI building in Bethel? Um with a Starlink unit on this side of it. Did anybody else see that? I know somebody mentioned it in the chat room the other day, and I was like, huh? I mean, what? I didn't, you know. And, uh, and But then you go look at the, the pictures, and a picture's been floating around Facebook, uh, and it actually popped up in a Facebook group um, for uh, one of the, uh, uh, for I think it was the, the, the uh, Starlink users group on Facebook in, in the state. But it's a picture. It's a picture of the GCI building in Bethel, with a Starlink unit on the uh, on the side of the building. Apparently, the dominant internet provider in Alaska has chosen to use a different or better service <clears throat> to get their own internet. I mean, I just thought that was like the ironic story of the day. Um, and, you know, somebody's asking in the chat room, "Was it photoshopped?" I don't know if it's photoshopped, but. It just seems ridiculous that you have um, that you have a, a, a business that is receiving hundreds of millions of dollars in government subsidies, stipends, contracts, you know, whatever. However, they're laying in the trough to suck up a lot of those federal monies, especially with the new push to make sure that everybody has broadband and everything else uh, and that they're charging in those neighborhoods. We had Willie who listens to us on the internet. Um, he's outside of radio range cause he lives out in Quinnahawk, which is down near Bethel. But he said that the internet service that they were getting down there was like $300 a month for, I think something that would barely be considered to be broadband. And, uh, he has, he's himself has switched to Starlink. And he said, many of the people out there are doing so as well, because it's just, it's much more affordable. But I get it. I guess just the irony of the situation, and even, maybe it is photoshopped. I I haven't gone and looked at the veracity of the photo, um, but it is floating around out there, and it's making me chuckle. Like uh, <laughs> that's just one of those things where you're like, "Wow, really?" Uh, anyway, that was uh, that was that was the one that caught my attention. Let's go over here to a discussion. This actually came out yesterday. Um. And uh, it came to my attention yesterday that there are more things happening in the state of Alaska when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, mining. Of course, you know we got the big news uh, that Willow, of course, is under uh, you know is in a legal battle, is being litigated now whether or not 
they can continue to move on the Willow Project. Yesterday, the Biden administration um, put the put the kibosh on any further drilling in Anwar, and in fact, they pulled back all the leases um, that were currently inside Anwar and NPRA. Um, uh, let me get the let me let me grab the proper headline here so that you know what I'm talking about. It was um, um, just I just had it. I just accidentally closed it, and there we go. Uh, open it back up. The Biden administration has canceled state-owned oil leases in Anwar. The Interior Department announced Wednesday that it will cancel the last remaining oil leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and move to restrict drilling on 13 million acres in the NPRA, National Petroleum Reserves, Alaska. The Biden administration asserts the Anwar lease sale held in 2021 in the final days of the Trump administration violated federal law. ADIA, the state agency, was the sole owner of the 10-year leases covering about 365,000 acres. Interior Secretary Deb Holland, speaking to reporters on Wednesday, said the Arctic Refuge is like no other place on Earth and it needs to be protected and it supports millions of birds and bears and caribous and everything else and climate change. And ugh. She said, with today's action, no one will have the rights to drill for oil in one of the most sensitive landscapes on Earth. Boom. Period. Um, the, I mean, this is just... This is just like more punitive stuff that was just like, are you kidding me? What is going on? Um, Alaska Republican Governor Mike Dunleavy said the state will likely take the Biden administration to court over the decision. Um, other Alaska officials, including the state's congressional delegation and North Slope uh, native leaders, joined in blasting the announcement. Um, they were just like, this is, I mean, here we are, we're trying to, we're trying to develop and get things going and nope, they decided that they're going to go ahead and just, uh, pull the trigger on this and, uh, say, sorry, can't, can't do it. You, you're going to get to lock it up. Now, this really doesn't affect, um, a lot, um, you know, there's not a lot, like an immediate effect on this, um, we, I was talking with Brad yesterday about this after the story came out. It came out yesterday afternoon, midday. Um, and he did state that the Anwar leases were already dead. The owner only owner left was Adia, and that was for political purposes. Um, and uh, the big problem, he said, in this deal is the NPRA issue. The Anwar leases are not the biggest part of this story. The NPRA issues are. Uh, because, again, that's supposed to be part of the National Petroleum Reserve. And they basically just said, nope, we're not going to allow any drilling on it. Um, you know, 13, locking up 13 million acres of it. This is, a, this is a big push. This is a big push that could affect us and have some troubling repercussions. Uh, not just for Alaska, but for the nation and any kind of energy independence that we may want. So we'll probably get the full rundown on this next week uh, with Brad. I imagine it'll be one of the big topics that he wants to uh, take up on that and discuss. Um, speaking of other mineral uh, resources, et cetera, uh, Graphite One is a critical minerals mine that's in the planning stage. 
um, and it's going to be out in the uh, um, um, in the Nome area. It's an owner-operated year-round truck and shovel operation. Uh, in July, it announced it received a $37 million grant from the Department of Defense, which wants to source graphite materials from the U.S. rather than overseas. And they've now also received a uh, they've received a second influx of money, this time from the Bering Straits Native Corporation, which has committed up to ten and a half, roughly ten and a half million dollars. Uh, they want to work to advance the Graphite Creek project. And uh, Dan Graham, the BSNC interim president and CEO of the corporation, said they want to become a friendly neighbor in the region. Uh, Graphite One has told us of its extent, intent to develop an environmentally responsible project and provide an exciting opportunity for the region that hopefully will play a crucial role in the nation's transition to clean energy in the future. Um, it should be um, it should be interesting. The Graphite Creek Project is located on state and private land in the region of the Bering Straits Native Corporation. The domestic supply of graphite, by the way, is crucial for the production of large capacity batteries used in various defense applications. So it's all about getting raw materials out of American soil versus out of China, which is where I think the majority of that stuff is coming right now. Anyway, that's uh, just a quick peek at some of the stories. We're going to get into whether or not hotels could be forced to become interim homeless shelters on a day-to-day basis and we're going to talk about the meltdown that's going on in anchorage right now i mean i just i'm so glad i don't live in it i mean i work in anchorage but i'm so glad i don't live in anchorage because it is a total poo parade down there we're going to give you the details on that here in just a moment and this is important for everybody because as goes anchorage so goes the world you know it all right we're going to be back the michael luke show common sense liberty-based Everything in radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Well, okay. Oof, kind of a slow morning this morning. Where is everybody? It's kind of a low, I'm seeing a low voter turnout this morning. Uh, what's going on with you guys? Where you guys uh, been? Only 20 of us or something, 23 of us between all the different platforms right now. Where is everybody? Is everybody, did I start this thing too early? Hmm? Hmm? All right. Oh. Yeah, today definitely needed to be a coffee morning today. That's for sure. Mikhail, hey, long time no see over on face, uh, over on YouTube. How you been? Um, Rick says his furnace came on around 3 a.m. this morning. What the hell? Yeah, it was 44 degrees or something this morning. Um, 
here at the old uh, at the radio ranch. It was uh, definitely. Well, I mean, I guess that's the fringe, the difference between yesterday where it was 50 and today where it was 44. Uh, 94% humidity this morning. <laughs> this is where my wife's head explodes and she gets a migraine from all the humidity, you know. Oh, I just feel bad for her. Um, all right. Uh, Jay Erica says, I wonder if... Uh, Shelly will talk about food security. That's been her recent soapbox. Never mind those of us that have been at the podium preaching about agriculture for years. Would have been nice if she was more proactive when I was more involved in local government. Hey, don't complain, Jerrica. At least she's on the topic. What do you want? You can't complain that somebody's late to your party when you've wanted them to be at the party the whole time. You know? I mean, you can't, you can't... You can't complain too much about it. We'll ask. We'll we'll ask and talk to Shelley about that as well. Um. She also says that that is hilarious. The whole GCI with the Starlink on it. She said she wouldn't doubt it for a second. Starlink is amazing. My dad's loving it. Me too, because I can call him now instead of waiting all day for a text back. Yeah, I love it. Yep, I love it. <clears throat> Um, okay. Um, wow. Bill's a little salty this morning. I don't even want to read what he's written here. <laughs> um, somebody needs to feed her a brownie. A thousand starving bears and that waste of oxygen roams the earth. Okay. All right. I think everybody's sleeping in this morning. I think that must be it. I think today is a day. I mean, I would have loved to have slept in today. Oh, I've got a crick in my neck that's so bad right now. I don't even know what to do. Mm. Sorry, I'm trying to stretch it. Trying to str- I woke up in the middle of the night. It was hurting so bad I put some Biofreeze on it. You know, that uh, it's like a Bengay alternative. Uh, and it was like, oof, man, wrecking me, wrecking me. All right, uh, we are about 90 seconds out. Bill, Bill is always salty. Uh, I mean, you know, there you go. I know Bill is always salty, but it's always good. You know, it's always good to see that. Has anyone moved your coffee pot to the end table by a couch or a recliner? No, nobody has. Nobody's moved my coffee pot. It's still where it was. I just, I don't know. Just one of those mornings where nothing seems to be Moving the needle, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Nothing seems to be, nothing seems to be bumping up the uh, the, uh, the the energy meter. Come on, baby, get get to working, get to working right now. All right, um, yeah. I mean, if you need to move it there to the end of your couch or recliner so you could sit there and listen to the show and drink coffee, I am not opposed to that. We don't judge around here, Rick. We do not judge. That's not that's not our way. Our way is not to judge thee. If you would like to consume the glorious water of the beans while you listen to this program, you shall do so. Bill says, I'm like bacon, fat and salty and will slowly kill you, but you love me. That's true. That is true in all respects. All right. Well, let's get back to it, shall we? Let's uh, dive in and see what else we got to talk about here. The Michael Duke Show, Common Chance Radio. Like, share, love, and do it. Here we go. 
Okay, uh, let's uh, continue here, and uh, what else we got going on? All right, we're going to dive into this and start talking about some of the other stories that are happening uh, around the state of Alaska uh, before we get into the whole hot mess that is the city of it. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, folks. There is just... It, it's just like the never-ending, it's like the never-ending saga. You know, I kept, expe- I kept, ex- I kept, ex- I kept, wow, I kept expecting, say that five-time time, five expected, yeah, wow. Uh, anyway, I kept expecting the, uh, you know, the, the, the hourglass to appear, you know, slowly behind the picture of the city of Anchorage, you know, as the, so are the days of our lives. I just, just like a soap opera going on down there. And, uh, but before we get into that, I do have some other, couple other stories, including the latest on two more Alaska ballot measures that have passed legal muster, but another one has been disqualified. Of course, the first one that was disqualified was the term limits bill that we talked about, uh, last week with one of the prime sponsors, Heath Smith. He came on board. That was disallowed by the lieutenant governor due to constitutional questions with it. They believed that it would have violated the Constitution, so the lieutenant governor uh, dismissed that one. Last Friday, she approved two other ballot measures and disqualified a third from advancing into the signature gathering page. The two approved measures would impose new financial restrictions on political campaigns, and the other would grant an array of rights to workers, including mandatory sick leave, higher minimum wage, and the ability to opt out from employment-mandated political and religious instructions. This is all being written up by James Brooks, by the way, over there at the Alaska Beacon. The one rejected measure would have barred the state from paying for party-specific primary elections as the state did before ranked choice voting was installed. So uh, I guess that's a bit of good news for those of us who are um, against the idea of ranked choice votings. Uh, the uh, These new ballot measures to qualify for next year's elections, they have to uh, gather signatures from at least 26,000 Alaskans in at least three-quarters of the Alaska House districts before the uh, legis- uh, legislature convenes in January. So they got about three and a half months uh, to be able to, well, less than three and a half months, uh, about three months. Um, anyway, uh, sponsors uh, of the rejected measure, the one, they call it an open primary backstop, they intended it. To, they intended it to serve as a backstop to guarantee nonpartisan primary elections, in case Alaska's current election system, the ranked choice voting system, was replaced. But the Alaska Department of Law said that the measure would have violated Alaska's constitutional ban on ballot measures that allocate money or resources. That basically it would limit the legislature's ability to appropriate funds for partisan primaries or similar processes in the future. And basically you can't take away the legislature's ability to appropriate. That's essentially what it comes down to. Um, And uh, they're, uh, you know, 
They were just, again, they were just looking to add another layer of difficulty to those of us who would like to see ranked choice voting repealed. Now, interesting, interestingly enough, Scott Kendall, attorney Scott Kendall, remember that name. You're going to hear it later on, but remember that name. Attorney Scott Kendall, hired uh, on contract by various groups, actually wrote all three ballot measures. He wrote the two that, the two that passed the one on financial restrictions for uh, political campaigns and the new workers' rights mandatory leave, the new Workers' Rights Act. He wrote that, and he wrote the uh, the measure that would have barred paying for state. He wrote them all. This guy has got just a, you know, there's very few times when I thought, boy, it would be great to be a lawyer, you know, but in situations like this, to see the amount of, of, of things that he's trying to do in the state. Sometimes I'm like, boy, I wish I understood the law well enough to write a lot of these things because man, he is in, he is in deep to Scott Kendall has got his fingers in every pie around the state. I mean, he was a big part of the ranked choice voting thing. He was a big part of, you know, making sure that Murkowski and company got things squared away. He's a big part in this whole thing with Amy Dembosky. Uh, he is, you know, Alaskans for better elections and the 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 new lawsuits being brought or the new uh, complaints being filed with APOC against the ranked choice voting. This guy is everywhere. He's making an oversized impact on everything that's happening in Alaska. And here he is writing three of the four ballot measures that were brought forward. And now he's, you know, one of them has been dismissed. So now he has two ballot measures that he wrote and authored going forward. And you just got to wonder, I mean, just, wow. I guess good for him. Uh, He's trying to make a difference where he can, uh, you know, in his mind. Anyway, um, we'll see what happens. The uh, sponsors are going to meet on September the 23rd. The sponsors of the uh, no money for for uh, partisan elections, they're going to make a final decision on whether they're going to challenge it in court. Uh, without a challenge, the sponsors are expected to focus their intention on trying to defeat the ongoing push to repeal the ranked choice voting system put on by Art Mathias and others. And then again, they've got to collect all these signatures to go through. The new um, campaign contribution limit bill would uh, means that the new uh, that individuals would be able to donate up to two thousand dollars to individual candidates and up to five thousand dollars to political group during each two year election cycle. Uh, and that limit would be adjusted every decade for the rate of inflation. Individuals would be limited to donating $4,000 to a joint governor-lieutenant governor campaign. And there would be higher donation limits for political groups and election-based corporations. Um, and uh, that's uh, and then, then you've got the new bill about raising the state's minimum wage. It would increase it to $13 an hour by 2025, $14 by 26, and $15 an hour by 27, and then it would be adjusted upward for inflation after that. It also provides uh, that employers provide workers with one hour of paid sick leave for every 30 hours they work. So that would be 
almost it'd be one something, one point something hours a week. If you worked for 52 weeks, you could have almost a full week of, well, you would have a full week of sick leave. That'd be 52 hours, essentially, <laughs> or 50 hours. You'd, you'd have another week of paid sick leave, essentially, is what it works out to be. Um, and employees at small companies could accrue up to 40 hours of mandatory leaves. Workers at larger firms could save up to 56 hours. So it's kind of a, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, every time the government gets involved into the marketplace of employees and ideas, it makes me just a little, well, it just makes me a little uh, agitated and a little anxious because I think they just need to not be, let the market do what the market's going to do. That's been my hot take on it. And then finally, uh, before we uh, go to the break and come back on the whole Anchorage thing, the University of Alaska system has uh, now boasting an overall enrollment growth. But I love the headline. University of Alaska system boasts overall enrollment growth after financial challenges. Because, of course, they have to do a, they have to do a throwback to the fact that the governor attempted to cut some money from the uh, from the uh, uh, from the university. And I mean, how dare he? How dare he do those things? The overall growth of uh, 4.7% comes after a five-year downward trend in student enrollment. Of course, college enrollment with COVID and everything. I mean, everything declined. How could, you know, it's, I get really leery anytime they're like, oh, it's up, you know, because I'm like, yeah, but based on what, when, when was your starting date? When was your, when did you start tracking the numbers? Was it, you know, Pre-COVID, was it during COVID? Was it post-COVID? When did you start tracking those numbers to say, ew, it's going up, there's growth? Because we understand that that is a that is a blip on the radar for almost everything when it comes to government, uh, you know, metrics and what things are, you know, what things are happening. Uh, anyway, it says the uh the overall growth is five four point seven percent after a five-year downward trend in student enrollment. And what do they blame the student enrollment on? Well, of course, the state cut the funding to the university by $55 million from 2019 to 2022. And then, of course, the state spending rose by $47 million at the end of June for this year. So they've got it almost all back. University of Alaska Fairbanks Chancellor Daniel White said the budget cuts reduced Alaskans' confidence in University of Alaska education. I did it really. I mean, did it did it really? You know, reduce the confidence in the university because they had a budget cut that was kind of out of their control. Did that really affect the confidence, or is it just that they are not delivering a product that was? Great to begin with, right? It used to be that most Alaskans went to one of the universities in Alaska. When bigger budget cut happens, there was a shift. More than half are going out, and it used to be more than half stayed in. Yeah, but things are also changing rapidly around this world. People are not staying near as near to home as they used to. People are going out and experiencing different things. Or maybe there's just not something that the university is offering here that people... Or maybe... Kids just don't want to stay. I mean, I've had that, you know, I've had that conversation with a couple of my kids where one of them's like, yeah, I think I want to go to Washington State. Okay. I mean, they, you know, they're just, because again, 
It's not just about what's happening at the university. It's about what's happening in the economy. It's about what's happening in the jobs market. It's a lot, you know, as they're looking at this, they're making these decisions. But of course, the final jab has to be that, well, because you cut our funding, that's why the kids are leaving. It's all your fault. You cut our funding and all the kids are leaving. (laughs) Even though it was happening, you know, before that. And, uh, you know, Alaskans, it just... it, it, this whole this whole story is supposed to be it's such a puff piece. Uh, Claire Strempel over at the Alaska Beacon has written this. And, and, you know, again, nothing against Claire, but really, this whole story is a nothing burger. Four point seven percent growth after a five year downtrend, which that five year downtrend, by the way, included two and a half years of COVID stuff. So four point seven percent growth is really nothing to write home about. And then to blame it on the fact that the state cut. $55 million from, by the way, you're lucky because he originally proposed a $120 million cut to begin with, which we were all fine with. Well, all of us on the cuts approach to government were fine with, but you got away with only $55 million, which they made it all back up. The state spending rose by $47 million in the budget that ended this June. So we're just back to Again, governments and budgets are just going to grow. They're going to grow on their own. But this whole idea that somehow it was just, you're so mean and you hate the children because you didn't, they, they're leaving because of you. I mean, it's not quite that whiny, but you're, get, you're getting my point on this. You're getting, you're getting, you're feeling what I'm laying down. All right. We got to go. Um, we got to be back in a minute. I'm going to dive into this thing with the city here in just a second. Uh, wow. The city of Anchorage like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It's exactly what's happening in the city of Anchorage right now. We will continue the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Um... What, Bill? I just looked at... Bill is, like, super salty today, man. Woo! Woo! Your father was like, Harold, would you want to stay? Asking for a friend. Oh, ow, 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 ow. Okay. Um, Has Musk put up the rest of the constellation yet? I haven't seen anything on it, Jeffrey. Um, Be honest with you, I haven't... I gotta... I should look. Because I got to get the rest of my Starlink set up here to be tested before we get real any real snow. I'm going to try and do that this weekend. Um, all right. Um, can we forget the Kendall crook? The only person that's totally screwed is a. I mean, Kendall is that guy, man. He um, he's got his fingers in every pie. I mean, just every pie. It's crazy. It's crazy. 
Um, Kendall, Scott Kendall is the George Soros of Alaska, I guess. I mean, I guess he's the, you know, the puppet master, although he's a much more visible than Soros is, I think, in a lot of the things that are going on. Uh, maybe student, maybe lack of student enrollment has something to do with lack of good education. Oh, well, I mean, that could be. And Jerrica says maybe it was their loss of accreditation. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, that, I think you pretty much nailed it right on the head here. Oh. Oh, uh, that's not a joke, says Jeannie. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, all right, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I think Bill did the right thing here. Bill had decided that he was blocking. He, he was blocking Harold. He said it made, it's made it so much nicer uh, in here. I no longer need to concentrate all my saltiness. Uh, that's great. I mean, you can too. If, 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 if somebody in here irritates you, even Bill, if you block them, you still are part of the show. You just can't see their comments anymore. So it does make it a lot nicer for me. I've, I've told people that in the past, you can just, you know, uh, Gordon is the only responsible one of us here this morning. Apparently, he says he's just working on his roof before winter sets in early. Hush your freaking mouth. Bad, Gordon. That's just, that's mean. That's just mean, my friend. I mean, we know winter is coming, but, uh, you know, that's just, that's the thing. Um, my impression, says Brian, is that UAA doesn't really give a rip about the student. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a self, it, at this point, it's a self-licking ice cream cone, right? It's all about protecting what they have and reinforcing what they have. Whether they deliver an adequate product or not is really beside the point. It's all about protectionism and what, they, uh, and what they're, they're doing out there. Jeannie says, if you think Bill is salty today, you haven't been paying attention. No, I've been watching it, but just today he's just he's on point today. Let's just put it that way. Um, it's if it's on point. Yeah, Bill. Uh, yeah, Gordon, if, if the winter shows up early, I'm talking I'm going to be pointing to you saying it's all your fault for showing up. I don't need an. I mean, yesterday it was nice. Uh, I could see it was it was pitch black this morning when I got started, but I'm starting to see. Uh, starting to lighten a little bit. There's still a bunch of clouds. Temperature came up by a degree. One degree difference. What's the humidity doing? Humidity is still climbing 90, 94%. All right. Uh, Self-licking ice cream cone. You've not heard that until now. Oh, Rick, where have you been, my friend? Where have you been? We've been talking about uh, we've been talking about that for a while. That's exactly the whole point about that government. They just like they make the ice cream and they lick it up, you know. Um, I'd rather pray for you because I still get to read your hilarious diatribe. Oh, I would never block Bill. I would I would never do that. I mean, I haven't blocked Harold. Why would I block Bill? Uh, because I like one of them. Um, all right. Uh, anyway, if it snows, I'll just blame the, what? Amy's like, if it snows, I'll just blame the dog. I have a Pomeranian that loves snow. There's a sickness in there right there. I just, man, as I get older, I'm just like, I dislike 
the last winter about broke me for snow. I mean, I am I am just like no. I I I could do with a lot less. The first year we moved down here, it didn't snow until November. There was no snow at Halloween. My kids were freaked out. But it didn't even really snow. And it snowed like two weeks into November. And then it melted after Thanksgiving. And then it it snowed a little bit again around. I, mean, I loved that winter. That was a perfect winter. Can I have that winter again? I know. Bill would hate it. But I would love it. That's what I want. Just give me a winter. Give me a global warming winter. That's what I want. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. All right, so here we are to the story that I've been teasing all morning. The soap opera is uh, that is the city of Anchorage continues. I mean, really, you just you can't write this stuff. Just you can't write this stuff. It just it happens in real life. So we all knew that Amy Dombowski was abruptly fired by the mayor last December. We know that she was um, she went out and went public with an ac- uh, with an accusation, allegations of uh, gender discrimination, retaliations, uh, I mean, all this other kind of stuff. Um, and she brought all that to the assembly. The uh, proposal had uh, the proposal had gone forward with a settlement for Dabowski of about half a million dollars, but they had rejected that. Um, the majority of members said earlier this year that the claims ought to be evaluated through the legal system before public money was spent on a settlement. What I really thought they wanted to see was they really wanted to put this all in the public eye and put it into a lawsuit that was, you know, big juicy lawsuit against, and it's happened. Amy Dombowski has now filed a civil lawsuit uh, that accuses the mayor and some of his top staff of, quote, wanton disregard and disdain for following the law and propriety. This is a story by Zachary Hughes over in the ADN. Uh, the lawsuit names Bronson as the defendant in his official capacity as mayor, as well as a municipality and two unnamed co-defendants. It seeks compensatory and punitive damages, attorney's fees, and any other relief the court deems fair. No specific dollar amount has been set in the lawsuit. Um, Though the civil complaint rehashes many of the same incidents and patterns brought to light in the initial letter from Dabowski and then subsequent news reports and news reporting, the 24-page document includes new accusations of dysfunction, mismanagement, and corruption inside the Bronson administration. Many of the allegations involve blatant violation of the public process. Those include the claim that Bronson and his advisor, Larry Baker, explicitly pushed for construction work at the proposed um, uh, at the proposed uh, Tudor and Elmore homeless shelter and navigation center without obtaining the appropriate contract approvals from the assembly. 
It also includes accusations of multiple other instances where Bronson and other subordinates attempted to circumvent Domboski in order to pursue actions that violated municipal code. Separate allegations involve Bronson, Baker, and others in the administration attempting to leverage personal connection to steer municipal business, real estate deals, and a criminal case involving Baker's business partner in their favor. Additional, accus- this just- Additional accusations in the lawsuit paint a picture of sexism, favoritism, and scandal within scandal within City Hall. Dimboski names a high-level executive alleged to have carried on an improper relationship with a subordinate in what is portrayed as an open secret inside the administration. Dimboski said Bronson engaged in and encouraged retaliatory behavior against staff members who brought the relationship to light. It also makes numerous allegations of inappropriate actions by the city's purchasing director, uh, but says nothing was done in part because Bronson said that he would never fire her because she knocked on 1,200 doors for him during his campaign. <laughs> I mean, there was other instances of Nabasi claiming there was a pattern by Bronson of treating women as subservient to men. And it just, I, it just, I mean, this thing is just going to, this is going to be nasty. This is going to be nasty. Now, uh, and Interestingly enough, Domboski directed all questions to her attorney, Scott Kendall. <laughs> Scott Scott Kendall is the attorney for Amy Domboski, who is, you know, a stalwart conservative. The thing, I mean, and I'm not saying that she's not. I'm just saying. You have what is supposedly a conservative mayor and a, you know, stalwart conservative, you know, radio talk show host and everything else. But in the middle is Scott Kendall. And all I can see is the conductor's baton or the puppeteers. I mean, that's all I can see is him just smiling really big. I can just see his ear to ear smile, smiling big as he... Meanwhile, he's over here writing ballot initiatives and doing this other stuff and, you know, trying to uh, attack the rank choice, anti-rank choice voting folks. And then in the middle, he's smiling to himself as he writes this, as he writes this brief for Amy Domboski. This guy is busy. I mean, I, you know, hats off to him. I, I mean, I may totally disagree with him and think that his philosophy is total poo. But you cannot deny that his work ethic and his ability to jump in on this stuff, the guy is doing, he's doing work. The guy is doing work. But the fact that I heard that Amy, when I heard that Amy, and I had heard this before, that that Scott Kendall was her attorney, I was just like, wow. I mean, talk about strange bedfellows. Uh, even Suzanne Downing makes a comment about um, – uh, what did she say? Scott Kendall, uh, her lawyer, Scott Kendall, who's a political foe of the mayor and a supporter of opponent Suzanne France, LaFrance, has driven the knife deeper, including accusations of gender discrimination, retaliation, violation of whistleblower protections, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the assembly majority is hoping to use this red on red lawsuit as a form of an independent expenditure group against the mayor who's running for re-election. 
it, it just, I am so glad that I'm not in the city, that I don't live there because to watch this whole thing come down is just, wow. I mean, just, just wow. And, and why should you care? Because you're like, well, I don't live in Anchorage. Why should I care? Because it seems like in this state, as so as goes Anchorage, eventually so goes many of the other larger communities in the state. So we see a fairly balanced area that's, you know, purple, that's purple, blue and red. But their assembly has gone full blue. I mean, there's like full blue. And you've got an administration that's full red. And it just becomes this. He said, she said, tug of war. Everything's a battle. Everything is for scoring political points. I mean, it's just, we should pay attention to this because, wow, just wow. Finally, uh, this story caught my attention uh, because uh, this is where madness lays. All right. In March of next year, California primary voters will decide whether or not they wish to require hotels to shelter unhoused individuals in vacant rooms. This is from Must Read. Kenneth Shrupp is writing for the Sitter Square, which has got picked up by, uh, by Must Read. It's a plan that could be adopted by the Anchorage Assembly, which is moving its homeless plans in that direction. The ballot measure uh, by Unite Here Local 11, which is a regional hospitality union, which I'm trying to figure out exactly why they would want this, um, is becoming a major political powerhouse. It has critics wondering why the union would push forward a measure that they argue would only put union members in harm's way. Under the measure, hotels must report vacant rooms to the city of Los Angeles housing department by 2 p.m. each day. So every day you've got to report to the government every day. The department would then refer unhoused individuals to these hotels paying a fair market rate for lodging them. So the city's going to pay for them. I mean, could you imagine downtown Beverly Hills with it? I mean, notably, hotels would not be required to hold those vacant rooms for program participants, and the hotels would be unable to refuse to accept such vouchers or put in rules specifically for voucher holders. So no additional rule. Whatever your rules are, there's Additionally, the measure would require market demand for the project and the project's impact on affordable housing, transit, social services, employees, and local businesses to be considered in land use permits for hotel developments with 100 rooms or more. And require hotel development projects with 15 or more rooms to replace demolished or converted housing with an equivalent amount of affordable housing at or near the project site. I mean, this is, this is the answer. We're going to put them up in the low, and, and this is every hotel. This is not just the Motel 6 or the two-star hotels. This is, you know, pick a the Wilkshire Boulevard, Beverly Hills. I mean, just pick wherever. It, every, every hotel in Los Angeles would have to report to the city of Los Angeles by 2 p.m. And then they're just going to start shuffling people over to your place, and they're going to stay there overnight. I mean, I'm sure that'll be great for the tourism industry. I'm sure it'll be great for the workers that this union supports. I'm trying to figure out why would the union do this uh, and everything else. But, hey, it's another great idea that I'm sure the city of Anchorage would love to copy. 
since they seem to be blueprinting everything from Los Angeles and Seattle that's gone wrong. But, uh, I mean, what do I know? All right, well, you can't, again, you can't make this stuff up, folks. It just writes itself. Back with more Hour 2 Dead Ahead, uh, State Senator Shelley Hughes will be joining us. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. What do you got going on? All right, we're getting ready to come up. Shelly Hughes should be joining us here in just a hot second. I'm sorry, I was looking for my... uh, Right there. Mm, Where'd it go? Just, I had it. Okay. Sorry, I just, there was a comment and I... Uh, okay. Well, I'm just going to clear all that. All right. <sighs> all right. We're waiting for, uh, wait for Shelly Hughes. Um, no, no, no. It won't affect Beverly Hills, says Brian, because Beverly Hills is out of the LA basin. I ain't know, but I just, again, whatever nice hotel you want to, you know, Whatever nice hotel you want uh, to picture in your mind in Los Angeles is, I mean, could you imagine you just paid $700 a night to stay at the Hoosie What's at Five Star Hotel in downtown Los Angeles and you open up the elevator and there's a homeless lady with her shopping cart walking down the hall to her room next to yours. I mean, What? I mean, I mean, you'd be like, uh, what? Hello, Sean. Sean's, uh, up there in Cots. What's happening, my friend? Good to see you. Thanks for coming on board. Um, let me go back up here. Bring, um, bring on the global warming winter. He just, Bill just sold his snow machine. Are you okay? I mean, did you, did you, are you feeling okay? I mean, that's like giving away a kidney. You can't do that, Bill. That that would just be horrific. Greg says he bet that Bill ordered a new one. <laughs> uh, booming and echo scandal, 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 scandal. Um, I bet the I get I bet Kendall is doing the case pro bono to bring down Bronson. Would not be surprised. Would not be surprised if that's the case. Oh, yeah. Um, Will the city indemnify the hotel against damage? Well, well, I mean, that right? That was my thought. Again, all I could think of was somebody who spent a lot of money, you know, $500 or something for a room, 
and they go up the elevator and the door opening on their floor and the thing rolls up and, and walk past the front of the elevator door, walks, a you know, a little homeless ladies or guys or whatever with their shopping cart full of goodies, all dirty and filthy, going to live in the room next door to you for the night. I, I mean, I just, the experience alone, what? I, I mean, the I just don't even know. And the fact that they're a union that's, that represents the workers in these hotels, why would you... Because, you know, dealing with homeless people is not is not always a pleasant experience because some of these people are not in their right minds. So you want to put all the hotel workers at risk when they have to deal? No, it's uh, I just don't even know. It's just so crazy. All right. Um, we are uh, about two and a half minutes out from rejoining the radio. Um, I see Shelly is in the green room. She's stepped away to get a cup of joe or something. And uh, we're going to test, oh my goodness, we're going to test the uh, audio for her real quick. So let me uh, jump over there and we'll test some audio to make sure that we got sound and everything's working. And good morning, Senator. How are you this morning? Hey, good morning. I stepped away to get the all-important cup of java. Cup of joe. Got to have that dark as midnight on a moonless night. Oh, damn good coffee and hot. All right. Um, uh, I'm going to put you uh, put you back in the green room for a minute here as we get things squared away because we got to rejoin the radio here in just a second. You all ready to do this bright and early? We had to negotiate, by the way, me and Shelly, because she was like, no. I said, 6, p- 6 a.m.? She said, no. She said, 7 a.m. or bust. I was like, whoa, okay, all right. You know, That extra hour, I mean, it's, a, you know, it's important, so... Uh, I'm a, I'm an excellent negotiator, as you can tell. We got her on board, so it's all good. Um, all right, you ready, uh, Shelly? We right back to you. I I'm here. Okay, I'm here. All right, well, we'll be we'll be back to you here in just uh, just a hot second here. Okay, um, anything else that I missed here this morning? Um, meth being cooked, favors being exchanged in these hotels. I yeah. Dude, I, I can't even wrap my brain around how they think this would be a good idea. Um, just n- not a good idea. Uh, Brian also said that coffee for Shelly better not be that icky brand. And where's the Michael Duke show mug? Well, I didn't give her one because that would be I could be sued by Scott Kendall for inappropriate favors for giving her a mug. You know what I mean? Trying to influence an elected official. Just to buy it like everyone else. Anyway, <laughs> capitalist. I'm a capitalist. All right. Uh, enough of this. Let's uh, let's get things going. We're gonna go uh, jump into this. Uh, we will be uh, we'll be talking to uh, Shelly Hughes in just a hot second. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share. Like and follow. We got a slow start this morning, but we're finally up to our normal 45 or 50 folks. We're returning just a moment with Shelly Hughes. Whoa, buddy. 
put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yeah, baby, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. If you missed hour one, we had a good conversation about a lot of things, including the craziness that's going on in Anchorage. I mean... Wow, that place has lost its mind. I'm so glad I don't live there. I feel bad for people who have to live there. Uh, it is just, uh, it is a non, it's a continue. They deserve a daytime Emmy Award. That's how weird it is down in uh, Anchorage. We also talked about uh, some of the latest stuff with homelessness and everything else. Go back and listen to it. It was a, it was good. You can go listen to it on the podcast or on the replay. But in this hour, we're going to dive into it with uh, State Senator Shelly Hughes, who we haven't talked to in quite a bit. I thought maybe I was starting to get a complex. I thought maybe she was avoiding me. Uh, maybe it was my, I don't cologne. I'm not sure. But we finally got her talked into coming back on the program. We want to talk about past, present, and future. Because I don't think we've had a chance to really recap what happened at the end of the last session to get her take on it. And I want to know what's coming up in the near future. So let's jump into it. Representative, uh, excuse me, uh, Senator Shelly Hughes joins us. Right now. Good morning, Senator. How are you this morning? Hey, good morning. Hey, you works. And you were getting a complex. I think I was getting a complex. Oh, well, so I, thank you for inviting me. I know. Every time she, you, you'd be like, I'm on the ferry. I'm on an airplane. I'm on the thing. I'm like, is she just avoiding me? I'm just wondering. I know you're busy. I know you're busy. You got a lot of stuff going on. So I appreciate you coming in um, and talking about it. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a hot minute. Um, uh, I don't think we've talked since the session ended. Uh, and, you know, a lot of things went down in those last few final days that uh, things that make you go, hmm, uh, it make other people go, oh, you know, kind of thing. Uh, let's let's talk about those final days of the session. I mean, you and Mike and Rob already out in the cold with your little dunce hats on sitting in the corner, you know, like the kids who have been bad. Uh, and then to watch this whole thing just get rammed through the violation of the process. I mean, at the end of the day, I knew the budget was never going to be anything that I could have supported. But what really made me angry was the disruption and basically the fracturing and breaking of the process of tradition of the rules of the of the of the legislature that have been set up for years uh, to watch that happen. So walk me through what it was like from your perspective and your thoughts on the final kind of way things went down. Well, you know, the the Republicans had not held the House majority for six years. And I think the Senate majority, there was a lot of longevity as far as those who've served 
and maybe there was a little advantage taken there. I, I don't think you will see that kind of thing again. I think that the House is going to insist on a process and um, rather than handing over the the budget, um, they will wait until there'll be an even exchange where the budgets cross paths probably literally in the hall that's happened before. I think that they will um, be smart and you won't see that kind of um, activity again. I, I think we also saw what happened. Um, it is a an adjustment when you don't have a binding caucus. The House majority did not have a binding caucus. And um, so you never quite know how those votes are gonna come out at the end. I think at this point, Michael, um, people sticking together and um, holding as firm as we can is important. And, um, I, you know, and I'm really focused on what's ahead at this point. And you're right. I don't like the dunce cap analogy, but because <laughs> what I, I, you I know, mean, it, that's, it, that's how really I, how I think yes. about it. When you guys are out there, I'm thinking that I'm thinking about those people who are scolding you for being, oh, put them in the corner. But, you know, it's ridiculous schoolyard bull is what it is, you know, but that's kind of how I picture it in my mind. That's how they're attempting to treat you like you're the dunces in the room, you know, kind of thing. Oh, we're the high. We're always take the high road, except when we don't. And but they're the ones that are so hard to work with and, you know, all this kind of stuff. That's the kind of picture I'm painting in my mind. Well, I, I, I as I was going to say, I confess it took me a, a month or two into the session to really figure out how can I still be effective in this role? Because there is an appropriate as a minority member, you are pointing out flaws and what the majority is presenting. You're offering better alternatives. And we really, um, you know, we were rocking and rolling in that uh, Senator Meyer, Senator Shower and I um, by the end of the session. So, you know, we're going to we're going to hit it out of the park as much as we can this next session. And even over the interim and a big example, Michael, is what just happened last week as far as protecting girls' sports. Um, you know, I hit roadblocks. I, I don't know if your listeners remember when yeah. Senator Von Imhoff, I, I always enjoy your your <laughs> your segment coming in and hearing my 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 good friend Roger Holland and but um it's Senator Von Imhoff stood up on the floor. I had 12 votes walking in to protect girls sports. I had the votes lined up in the house and yes it was on the last day but I had the votes and um, she stood up and killed the bill. And the reason is that trying to appease, I believe, appeasing the Democrats because the, the, um, those in leadership had worked out budget deals with the Democrats and the Democrats had a whole litany of amendments to slow the process down with the girls' sports. They were ridiculous, ridiculous amendments that were going to fail, but it was gonna eat up the clock and um, to keep those budget deals, I think, is why when Von Imhoff stood up, she was able to win over a, a few other Republicans enough to kill it. So, you know, and remember last year when the Senate majority held their press conference um, and announced that they had formed with the Democrats, the Republicans, the eight Republicans, nine Democrats, they made very clear that they weren't going to put forward any bills such as that. And so that's when we began to go to work and how can we get this done and first worked with the athletic association, realized that would be quite difficult for that association to handle a lawsuit, which we expect. And so I think even though people were saying, oh, they got cold feet, I think they probably wisely 
uh, volleyed over to the D, the Department of Education Early Development, and let the board do it. And um, so that happened last week. But, you know, that was months of work behind the scenes. I was coaching, providing research, guidance, help with the language, everything with the Board of Education. And so that was quite the victory last week. And and we do expect a lawsuit to be filed. Just so listeners know, too, the school year is already in effect. I think track and field begins, I don't know if it's late June or early July. So the sports season is already well underway. So this new policy, of course, it still has to have those final um, T's crossed and I's dotted by the Department of Law. So that'll be a, a few weeks here, but it won't go into effect till next year. So what will happen is, I believe, is a lawsuit will be filed probably by the um, ACLU folks here in Alaska, maybe joint the Planned Parenthood may join with them. And then in case folks don't know, is about three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, the Ninth Circuit put a stay on the same policy passed by the Idaho legislature. So we expect um, that kind of thing to happen. And I ultimately believe this, because we've got this going on, I believe there are 23 states now that have this policy in place and there are a lot of lawsuits. I think eventually it'll work its way up to um, the U.S. Supreme Court. But here's one little thing that may be different with our, uh, you know, if a case in Idaho or some other state moves up, it still may not settle ours because of the way the judges has, I have, I believe, misused and abused the privacy clause in um, our Constitution. Our privacy clause, I, I can't quote it verbatim, but it's in essence, the um, right to privacy for Alaskans shall not be infringed. And then the second sentence goes on to say that um, this policy will be determined by law, by legis by the legislature. And what we've seen is, um, it, it uses the word implemented, implemented by the legislature. But what we've seen in, in recent years, well, probably about the last 20 or so, we've seen the courts implement the right, right to privacy. So right. The legislature passes a law supposedly implementing privacy and the the um, courts knock it down and they implement privacy. So we may have to have a separate case that works its way up. And um, I hope to have a conversation with our attorney general well, about that. Yeah, but it's, it's almost a weaponization of privacy, right? In some ways, they're basically saying you don't have the right to help raise or school or decide for your child who's probably too young to really make those life-altering. I mean, your child couldn't decide to go vote or buy a pack of smokes or go buy a gun or anything else, but sure, they can decide to change their gender, and you have no say in them changing their gender or taking hormones or doing all this other kind of stuff. I mean, they're weaponizing that whole thing at that point, basically cutting parents out of the equation, uh, you know, trying to make the state, uh, the government, the state, uh, be their god in or whatever i guess be their mentor and their it's it's kind of scary again it's one of the main reasons why i homeschooled all my kids is because there's some crazy people out there trying to take control of your children's minds hearts and minds is what's going on yeah homeschool homeschool enrollment is on the up i just want to say too that support for biological males playing on girls teams is down there was a gallup poll this summer and it went from um, 34% to 26% support that. So it's only about a quarter of Americans and probably only about 10% of them are vocal, but oh my, are they loud and organized and passionate and they show up. 
Um, the, and that goes back, we've talked over the years about the need for the silent majority to step up. We did see um, some people step up on this issue that haven't in the past, and I think it was helpful. And when it all came down to it, even though it's only about a quarter, I'm assuming that would um, that percentage would be similar in Alaska. It might be up or down a few points, but it if you looked at the testimony that came in, and this is good because you know you talk a lot about people weighing in on subjects on that topic, even though it was only about one in four who um, wanted males to be able to be on girls' teams, the testimony came in about half and half with slightly more, and this is when you combine the verbal and the written, slightly more supporting you know the po the policy that I was promoting, protecting girls' sports. So. Um, you know, we, we still need the silent majority to step up. And, you know, I'm working on that, too. I am working on that. I'm taking doing different avenues um, and talking with different groups, people that haven't been politically active in the past for them. And I, I and I, I sense, you know, and, and I, I know you question whether it could be we thought you know, the silent majority would step up more when it came to the PFD. And they they just didn't to the extent they some of them grew weary but I think some of these social cultural things, um, I, I think you're seeing a new group. I mean, look what happened in Virginia a, a couple of years ago when they just assumed right. the Democrat was a governor was going to get another term. And then Youngkin got uh, one and that state is tip red. So maybe these so social issues will tip things in Alaska. But um, I'm hoping and I'm I. I believe all of us should be talking to people that normally don't engage, not yeah. people. I mean, we can talk to people that listen to your show, but that's the echo chamber. We need to reach out to groups that don't normally. Oh, engage. yeah, absolutely. We need to reach outside the sphere of influence because this show you're preaching to the choir in many ways. And, and you're right. But just to give you an idea, and I, I quoted this earlier this week, because just to give you an idea of the mindset of some of these other people, and I'll get you to comment on this real quick before we go to break, because we need to go to break here. But it said during the discussion at the school at the board of the student representative, Felix Myers, disagreed with the whole thing. He said the body, the school board, was mistakenly discussing the idea of men participating in women's sports rather than the issue of trans women participating in women's sports. And I think I, that that whole mindset of what? I mean, we're talking about the fact that trans women started out as men. They have the biological baseline of men, whether they say that they're a man or a woman. That was the whole. But this is the mindset. Well, we're talking about trans women. They're not talking about men. But they started out. I mean, this is the mindset. We're having a hard time wrapping our brain around that. Well, Michael, I saw in the because I started this in the policy work in 2021 and then committee hearings in 2022, and I saw the the argument from the opposition evolve. So back in 21, 22, it was you, these are these children are in a precarious place; they could commit suicide. The blood will be on your your hands if you pass this. And I pushed back because the trend of suicide among girls is has skyrocketed. And I said, you know, you you do not handle a mental health issue by creating one for another um, set, which is a huge set of girls. So, um, but now they added to their argument that there's no difference. They actually said on the record, there was no difference between the male and female bodies. And it's like, whoa, you know, go, go back and take biology. You, you don't know your science. And I wanna make the point that even after a decade, after a decade, of testosterone suppression, hormone therapy, 
the heart is still larger, the, the lungs and oxygen capacity are still greater, the muscle mass is more, five to 7% more, so that there still is a physical advantage even yeah. after a hormone therapy. Yeah. So uh, that argument was just, I couldn't believe they were saying it. Yeah. That's a typical rules for radicals, just keep repeating um, something that's not true until people believe it, but we push back on it. It's good stuff. Uh, State Senator Shelley Hughes, our guest. The Michael Duke Show continues. We'll have her back here in just a moment. Listen to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. <laughs> uh, I love that little sneaky smile when you realize it's just the truth. It's just nothing but the truth. Uh, Shelly, um, I kind of want to, I, I, I kind of want to just, well, we'll do this when we return, but I kind of want to go back just for a minute. I don't want to dwell on it too long. But again, to me, the biggest problem with the whole thing at the end of the session was the complete disregard, the manipulation, and the abuse of process. And the fact that there are people in the legislature right now who would blatantly and willingly just throw all that aside to get their way. And so I want to get your comment on that when we come back, uh, just for just for a second. I don't want to we don't have to dwell on it too long, but to me, that kind of in your face, basically giving you the proverbial finger and saying, take it or leave it. We're doing things our way. If you don't like it, too bad. Um, that does not foster it does not foster an environment of cooperation. And in fact, it uh I think that it um I think it hurts the whole system. I think it hurts the whole process. I think it hurts the confidence of Alaskans if they understand, if they understand it, because a lot of people don't understand the ins and outs and the intricacies of it. But if they understand it, it hurts the confidence in the system itself. And that, I think, is uh, I think that's problematic. So I do want to get your comment on that. What have you been doing this summer? I mean, what, what's what's going on? I mean, like I said, every time I reached out to you, you're like, I'm on a plane. I'm on a helicopter. I'm on a boat. I'm on a th-. You were like traveling like every day. I'm in a spaceship. I mean, wherever you are, you were like doing your thing and, and you were unavailable. You've been busy this summer. I, I have been and um, no helicopters or spaceships, but I have been on a few planes and, and on the ferry. So I did um, attend a mock constitutional convention, Article 5 convention, Fascinating, fascinating. I was honored to be the Alaska delegate um, for the um, second time. The last one was held, I think it was in 2016. And um, Tammy Wilson uh, was a delegate at that time. Um, so we passed uh, one of the things that I brought forward that passed. It was it became the high point and the most um, got the most votes and most well liked back in 2016 was the counterman amendment that the Alaska legislature passed. Counterman is a word people aren't real familiar, but it means abrogate, nullify, repeal. And it would just allow, if you have enough state legislatures, my original had three-fifths of the legislatures agree that something Congress passed, an executive order issued by the president, or a decision um, by the federal courts, 
if enough states said, no, this is going too far, this is um, touching on states' rights, that kind of thing, that it would actually go away and be nullified or, or countermanded, vetoed. So um, that again, I brought that again forward. It also passed, but they lowered from three-fifths to a simple majority. So that's how frustrated the, the states are now with the um, imbalance where the federal government is, is, is far too strong compared to states. So that was good. We also um, passed the term limits. It was more reasonable than last time for the small rural states as far as the number of years because there's always a concern that legislative staff or bureaucrats and lobbyists will will start controlling if you have a bunch of um, freshmen running around trying to find the bathrooms and not understanding you know how to do this stuff. So that passed um, a balanced a federal balanced budget. You know how we we can't pass a budget next unless we actually have the money. But the federal government, they can pass a budget and, um, you know, uh, rack up debt, print right, money, right. whatever. So, um, yeah, there were several. There's one really good one that I worked on really hard with a guy from Utah. Of course, these these were all passed. And this is a mock, a sim simulated. So they're not going to go to states for ratification. But one of them was returning all the land that the federal government owns in the Western states. As you know, in some of the early states, only you know 10%, 5%, 3 right. of their state federal land, where it's 60% here, close to 70% in Nevada. Yeah, no. So that was a good one too. Like a new sagebrush rebellion, right? That was the whole thing of the sagebrush rebellion is the Western states pulling back on that. It's fascinating stuff. All right, well, we'll continue to talk about that here in a bit. We're about to jump back into it. Uh, we're going to pick up, we're going to kick off with that question on the process and uh, just your comments on that, and then we'll talk about what's coming up in the future. Shelley Hughes, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Yeah, I mean, pain. Wait, pain in the what? I, I don't. I can't draw the line between all right never mind uh the michael duke show welcome back to the program hour two continues this thursday edition state senator shelly hughes is our guest we're talking about state business and things that have happened and everything else let me jump into I, i'm gonna go i'm gonna rewind for just a second because it was something that i wanted to focus on for just a minute uh we don't have to take the whole segment to talk about it of course but uh senator again the one thing that really um i guess it worries me it offends me and it infuriates me is what happened in the final day, the final hours of the session when the Senate leadership decided to completely abrogate, ignore, violate um, the, the rules, the traditions, the, the laws that you guys have set up around yourself for doing budgets and everything else. And they basically, as, as I said earlier, they basically just gave everybody around them the proverbial finger and said, we're going to do it our way. If you don't like it, too bad. Bye. And, um, and, and to me, that is damaging in many ways. First of all, it completely damages. The, and that is not a cooperative spirit, which is what most legislatures are supposed to have. I mean, they may be contentious, but they're still supposed to be cooperative and have some kind of compromise involved. Uh, it also, I think, has the potential to damage people's faith 
in the institution itself, whether a lot of people may not understand the intricacies of the, you know, Mason's rules and what's going on and the, and the, and the, the, you know, the uniform rules that have been put in place, they may not understand it, but when they see something like that and it's explained to them, they get outraged and they lose their faith in the institution and in the process itself. That is even more dangerous. So I just want I want to get your thoughts specifically, and you've mentioned you don't think it's going to happen again, and be, but I mean, talk about that for a second, just from my from the perspective that I just laid out. Give us your thoughts on that. Well, you know, um, I I've been thinking a lot of things at the at the national level and our founding fathers, and uh, reviewing some things about the early underpinnings of our nation, and one of the things that was um, a, a tug of war was between those delegates to the Constitutional Convention, um, we're talking the U.S. Constitution, that um, wanted, were more states' right, wanted more of a confederacy, um, and then those who wanted a little more stronger central, you know, uh, U.S. capital kind of power there. And, you know, when you look back, you know, of course, I, I would lean towards states' rights, but what we ended up with was um, they had to work together in order to get the passage and the uh, ratification of the constitution. And so you have that balance. So tug of wars and check, and, and that you ended up with checks and balances that you not, not only have checks and balances between the three branches, but between the state and federal government. And that's one of the things where article five, article five convention would allow, um, I think it is one of the, th probably one of the last hopes as far as straightening out the mess in DC and um, to, to rebalance the power between the state and federal government. I think in the state legislature, that tug of war is, is healthy and you can have it there. But what happened is um, the, the Senate, as I said, having um, more seniority and a, new, a newly formed majority, lots of freshmen, it was um, the tug of war kind of, um, kind of pulled, yanked in a way that the, the house kind of uh, fell maybe a little bit and was scrambling to get up. And I, I think this time that, and I, I know I'm repeating myself, but I don't think they're going to play that game. I think they're going to march. They're not, you know, they're, they're going to march forward and help lead and it, it will rebalance it because you're right. It was, it did disrupt the, the process that's been in place and our only obligation as let as a legislature is to pass a budget, right? And when only one half of the legislature is controlling that, everybody knows that's not right. And um, so I, I think you will see um, a, a different process this year, and it'll um, get it right. And and it may be because this what this was played this time that that trust that it will the process will be fo followed will no longer be there and will and you will see an exchange in the hallway for years to come i don't know i i think you will this next year for sure and then we'll see after that but um the people's voice is hampered when only one side you know it, the capital budget in particular and that that's where the house didn't get to weigh in um they're robbed that opportunity the difference between the senate and the house is a senator is is yes to think about his or her district, but look about look at things more on a statewide level of how the districts work together, and um, make sure their district is balanced, but that they're all working together. Whereas a, a House representative is really supposed to look at the needs of their district particularly, and when you don't let the House have the capital budget, it really is unfair unfair to we the people. Well, and again, dangerous. 
Am I not? Am I am I wrong in my estimation of that? Dangerous to the actual foundational faith in the part in the process itself. Yes, yes, and we, I, I am hopeful we. I don't know that we will restore the trust, but I'm hoping we can restore a process that is fair and not dangerous as far as the House having their rightful say in the budget process. Well, and I wouldn't even say that half of them got their way. We know that essentially you have six people that are wielding almost all of the power of the legislature. That's about the right six, maybe seven people who are wielding the power of the legislature and in essentially disenfranchising all the other legislators in doing that, in getting it their way or the highway. They're disenfranchising all those other legislators. And I don't think people will stand for that in the long run. I mean, they may get away with it for a while, but I don't think people will stand for that in the long run. And, you know, you're aware of that. Um, and I, I don't know how we could message and, and make people more aware of the organization after an election is a huge deal. And like you said, you know, it's saying who's going to control. Well, if you have, you know, six people that are full of integrity and work with their um, caucuses, that's one thing. But when you have six people that might be going off their own way, that's another thing. I think I think the public needs to realize the, the importance of the organization after election and how impactful that is to our state and to each and every district. No, and especially the three of you, uh, you and Rob Myers and Mike Shower. I mean, you were essentially completely distant. It wasn't, when I talk about kind of this, you know, uh, vague or amorphous, you know, uh, a disenfranchisement of all other legislators, except the few that are in power, but you three specifically, your electorate should be, and I'm one of them, I'm uh, Mike Shower's my senator, should be outraged because you essentially have, you know, you weren't included in any committees. You weren't recognized as a minority. You weren't, you had, you basically put all of you in the corner and said, you know, you, whatever you want to do, fine, just play amongst yourselves. The grownups are going to go work over here. I mean, what is that, 25? How many people, how many thousands of people in each one of those districts? We're talking about, you know, 80,000 people, 90,000 people who are disenfranchised completely for their senators to not be able to do anything of any worth. Well, I mean, you know what I mean? Technically worth it's it's that's insane. People should be outraged about that kind of behavior. Yeah. And um, a, a lot of people um, I, I know David Eastman has let people know he feels like he's disenfranchised. But guess what? We are disenfranchised more if, if we get brownie points for, for that, because you win. we're not one. We don't even have one standing committee. Um, so, right. Um, yeah. And staff wise, I have the same proportionate. Uh, he has one staff for his house district. I have two house districts, two staff um, at, because we're not a recognized minority. We do not get a press person. So I have used um, my budget that normally I would use perhaps to send newsletters to my district. I'm having to use that for press purposes, for building a Senate website um Senate minority website for uh, contracting for those kind of things. And then, then that means then it, I have to, I'm paying for a lot more stuff out of pocket too. Right, right. So it's hitting my personal pocketbook and um, it's, it's affecting my district. So um, people need to understand how, how that happen how that works. And, um, but again, I refused to sit back for two years. So I'm yeah. trying to figure, I had to realign, figure out how can I be effective 
without committees. And so one of the ways is that I worked with the state school board. Another thing that has happened, which I believe is kind of interesting how it came about, is um, people get the, the majority members, you know, you're busy, you're chairing, you're, you got bills moving and um, a lot of them are a lot more exhausted at the end of the major, uh, end of the legislative session than the minority members. So here we had in law um, a requirement to keep working on food security. That was a law that was passed for a um, two-year two-year food security task force to continue the work the governor started. So you have George Rauscher appointed to it, and you know we had great people coming to the food and farm caucus. Um, Shower came, Rob came. We had Ben Carpenter, Sarah, um, a bunch of the the House Majority members, and you know we had we had a few um, Democrats as well because I mean we all like to eat, right? So kind of food security is kind of important, and we all realized it would be good instead of sending that the billions of dollars out state out of state bringing food, whatever we could grow and produce here would be great. And so there's a lot of support for that. Well, the end end of the session is really where the bulk of that task force work is done because you're just too busy in Juneau to do that work. And there was a report due August 1st. And so um, when it came time to who's going to chair this 36 member food security task force, normally it would go to majority member. And Rep. Rauscher was the, the House majority member. Senator Click Bishop was the senator. Well, they're not stepping up, right? So I end up getting elected as the chair, which is very unusual for a minority member. But oh, have we been busy dozens and dozens of meetings in June and July, and our first report went out. And I want folks to know, I kind of despise studies and and all that and task force. So from right out of the gate, and I've got the agreement of my members, this is not a document to sit on a shelf. We actually structured it. So we have like a one-page form for the recommendations, and they include action steps, timelines, who's responsible, um, how, you know, how are you going to get from point A to point B, trying to make it really practical. And, and as a task force, we're what the first three out of seven focus areas that we did in report one, and we'll do the remaining four in report two next year. Those first three, we're not just going to walk away from, we're going to continue to monitor and update and also help shepherd some of those um, priorities and recommendations into fruition. So I want people to know that, you know, this is not just another study or something like this, that we're really trying to do this in a practical way. And we're avoiding those boondoggles. You know, there were boondoggles in the past having to do with agriculture. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's not public officials deciding we're going to build you know, um, big grain tanks and and Valdez. We're really talking to the farmers, talking to the people on the ground and trying to make things that take practical small steps toward an important goal. Well, we may talk about some of that on the other side. And then again, what's coming up in the next session? Shelly Hughes is our guest. The Michael Duke Show continues. Don't forget to join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. We return with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Shelly Hughes is our guest. Uh, we're in the break right now. 
Uh, Shelly, I mean, all this stuff is going on. The violation of the process, the, the the things, the the pettiness, all these other things. Yet at the same time, the majority of these people cannot read the room. They cannot they cannot see the temperature, see what's happening, how people are feeling, and they in turn turn around and vote themselves a sixty seven percent pay raise on top of all this other stuff. I I haven't talked to you about this, so I kind of want to get your take on it because I mean. Again, I can see some of the handwriting. I mean, one of the most vocal supporters of this, of course, was Gary Stevens, uh, who I think is made kind of made known that he's not long for the legislature here in the long run, is looking to get those last couple, three years to bolster the whole retirement situation and everything else. But uh, 67, we're in the middle of a financial crisis, a crunch. The economy's contracting. People are having a hard time. Yada, yada, yada. Phil, you know, all the sky is falling. And they're like, oh, no, 67%. That sounds like a good number. Let's go with that. Well, what were your thoughts during that whole process? Well, I, right out of the gate, I filed a bill um, to get to repeal that. And it didn't even get a single hearing. I And I actually put in hearing requests. Um, I don't just file the bill just to sit there and look pretty. Um, we requested a hearing. We didn't get it. So, uh, yeah, it, it's ludicrous. We, we cut the PFD and, um, you know, f- families are facing inflation. It's, you know, t- tough times. And all of a sudden, yeah, it didn't make sense to me. And I, I think it could hurt some people at election time. We'll see. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't recall um, in in the end who voted up and who voted down. But if people voted for it, I think it's they're, they're going to hear about it at election time. So it will be interesting to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea that if you needed to update the base pay, that's fine. If you wanted to pull the per diem, there needed to be some give and take. And instead, it was all give. It was just like there was no give and take. It was all give. There was no balancing. $309 a day in per diem on top of everything else, you know, $135,000 a year for a part-time gig, essentially. That is, that's nuttier than squirrel poo right there. That is just insane. And and I I think you know I kept pointing out this whole you talked about process I think it's a bad process I think that um, the legislature probably shouldn't even have a peep of a word in what happens and um, so you know people being able to vote themselves a salary there's just something wrong with that you know I've never had a job where I got to you know if I'm working for the 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 people of Alaska are our employer right. And so for us to give ourselves a raise, there's just something that that doesn't seem right with that. That should be an independent decision. Um, Yeah. Well, I think it offers. And, and, you know, it is a part-time gig. Yeah. It is a part-time gig. But the the way it's become, there are very few legislators now that are trying to carry on another, um, a business or a job. It's it's becoming, I, I I work more than 40 hours a week, even during the interim. So, right. but I'm crazy. Well, it's a, da- <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it's a danger of basically losing that idea of a citizen legislator. Um, you're more, yeah. for, you're more of a professional, professional politician, professional legislator, instead of, you know, having other ideas and other, uh, other, uh, uh, 
you know, focuses outside of the legislature. And I think that is kind of dangerous in and of itself. I, sure. I think it's particularly dangerous when you, when you talk about young legislators, you know, somebody like me that had been out in the private sector and had life experiences, raised a family. I understand, you know, the struggles and, um, but somebody who's young and coming in, they go right into public office and that's all they do. That is concerning. You are absolutely spot on. Um, they're going to lose that insight that is so important from work outside the legislature. Yeah, life, life experiences and everything else. And we've seen that with some folks who have been in the legislature for 20, you know, starting in their 20s and are now into their 40s. We're seeing that already. Uh, but as you said, this might let I got to be honest, if I was running or if I was advising somebody who was going to be running for office, that would be probably the first thing I would check against their opponent. Did they vote for this? Because that would be the thing that I would say. Did you know that Joe Blow voted himself a 67 percent pay raise this last year? I mean, because many people still don't know it. They, they just it's not something they're paying attention to. But if you start saying last year when you were struggling to heat your home and feed your kids and put tires on your car, this legislator voted themselves a 60 67% pay raise. Do you think they deserve to go back? Ooh, I mean, that's there's an ad campaign right there. Yeah, and there were, you know, several votes that were taken um, when the actual, um, I can't think, I think it might have been a resolution. It, You know, if, if somebody voted yes for the resolution and yes to cut the PFD and no against PFD amendments that were trying to increase the PFD, man, I think they're in hot water. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be a tough situation. Shelly Hughes is our guest. We're going to touch again on food security just for a bit to get to see what the three recommendations are, and then we'll move on to what else is coming up in the next session. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free-Thinking Radio. Like and share, like and follow. Here we go. Let's jump right back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Continuing now, Shelly Hughes is our guest, state senator from Zamatsu, uh, here to discuss with us uh, final things that have been going on and then what's coming up at the next session. You just mentioned the Food Security Task Force. Um, I mean, I think it's an important issue. I think we need to do it. 36 people on a committee. I mean, that's a little unwieldy. Uh, uh, I, I'm a little worried about that component of it. Too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. But, uh, you say they came out with three recommendations in this report that came out in August. I have not read that one yet. Uh, the last one I read was from last February, I think when the governor's task force was finished or whatever that was. Um, so give us, uh, you know, what are the three big recommendations for people who are concerned about food security? And then we'll move on to what you are going to be focusing on coming up into the next session. So 36 members. So to solve that, we've got a nine member executive board. And the reason we have all those members is because we wanted on the ground expertise, people actually, you know, actual farmers and such. So um, nine member executive board, and then we take the rest of the members and we divvied up on the committees working on the, the three focus areas, which was growing agriculture, duh. I mean, that's pretty fundamental. And then we had um, growing market access, at, you know, how to get local products into market. And then we had one on infrastructure, um, transportation and infrastructure. For instance, um, one of the recommendations was that we um, get rail down to Delta. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of potential up in the Delta area. You know, the Barley Project back 
in the day was a failure, but now you've got a few, a handful of really good um, farmers who are doing it. And if you haven't um, used barley flour yet that's grown in the state, it's great. I love um, the barley flour brownies. They're delicious. Um, so, and the there's now milk coming down from Delta that is in three bears in our stores here. And I heard Walmart might be carrying it. But anyway, so that rail infrastructure is important. So that's that was our big focus. Um, now, one of the things, and, and probably the comment section is going to go crazy when I say this, but hear me out. One of the recommendations, and I don't think it'll happen during this administration, but it, it has to do with a focus. And if you look at all the other states where ag is a, a, a fairly substantial or very substantial industry, um, and by the way, we have more farmable acres than any state in the union that are untapped. Um, and uh, um, but anyway, the, those other states where it is a fairly robust industry, there is there are two things. There's the Department of Agriculture that really focuses is on it, and so the commissioner has a seat as a or as a secretary or commissioner at the cabinet, the governor's cabinet. So that's one. And the other is university research, and we were hearing that from farmers because they try to do their own research and experimenting, and it's very inefficient. It um, distracts them and, and they don't do it to the full extent. And um, the peony industry, for one thing, that was birthed out of research. So we don't want to blow up and have wasteful spending in university research. We want very targeted research that is actually what the farmers are asking for and wanting. Um, but it, it can allow them know, you know, what what crops rather than taking 10 or 15 years for a few farmers to figure out what might work, they can get in more immediate um, results. So the having a Department of Ag is something that um, you will hear us talk about. And, you know, s sometimes you, you know, the child asks for um, five cookies and mommy maybe give them one. <laughs> so that may be what we're doing here, but it's to get the priority. So our division of ag has been a bit of an unwanted step stepchild in the Department of Natural Resources. Not that, you know, everybody loves farmers, but DNR is focused on oil and gas. You know, that's the, the bread and butter for our state, our revenue. And so Department of Ag has been kind of a skimpy, um, operation. And if we're really going to um, support and support a farmer, we need a little bit more infrastructure within that division. And a department would really allow that person to be at the, in the governor's ear. Right. Whether we would get there or not, I don't know, but you will hear us talk about that. But a lot of things are, 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 are much um, more simple and um, less expensive than f finishing the rail to Delta and um, it even um, leadership and the governor and leadership in the legislature having conversations with Fred Meyer and Car Safeway because you know they they've allowed local products in to an extent, but they really need to provide self shelf space. They say, well, it's not reliable; you can't do it year round. So we're going to contract and bring up for the lower forty eight, and that is true right now. We couldn't provide a steady supply of a particular vegetable, for instance. But if you give us shelf space, then we can build that capacity and someday we can actually do it year round and reliably. <laughs> right. So those kind of things that are low hanging fruit don't cost money. There are a lot of recommendations like that in the report.
And the regulations, restric- reductions of regulation. I mean, that's the other thing that a lot of farmers that I've talked to in the past have said, you know, it's all great, but we do have a lot of government red tape. I mean, that would be something that I think could be pulled back to alleviate. Yeah, and an- another thing, we, we want to reduce reduce the tax burden uh, also um, for some of these farmers. We Here in the Matsu, this was a number of years ago, and it, it prompted me to really look at it. And we passed something, but we've got to go back and fix it is a farmer said, hey, I could supply, instead of just supplying the grocery stores, this is when they were more amenable to taking local products. I could do it beyond um, August, the first week or two of September. I could do it all the way to Christmas, but I've got to be able to store that food in a building. And if I build the building, the tax I'm going to have to pay for it, it's going to do away with any profit I'm going to make. So I'm not going to build that building. And so, um, tax exemptions for certain things for farmers make sense. And yeah, we know um, there can be a local shifting. So that was, it was allowed under state laws for the local governments to allow that. Um, but it we, we didn't structure it quite like we need to. So that's something we'll go back and fix. And I think, I know the Matsu is interested, the Kenai, Fairbanks, um, they do wanna help their farmers. So we'll go back and try to fix that this session. All right, we're down to the last four minutes or so. So let's talk about upcoming session. What are you going to be focused on? What are we talking about? What What is going to be your, you know, what are you decided in on coming up in the upcoming session? Okay, back to the fact that we're in a place where some might describe it as we're being pushed to the curb, but still trying to be effective. Right. Um, and, and I know that this is not a budget item, but it is really fundamentally important important to society and our culture. And we've heard a lot about it. And that's the problem of child and human trafficking. And it's been shoved under the rug, but we've got data about what's happening in this state and it's alarming. And Matt Clayman has pushed back. He's our judiciary chair. He has pushed back on that, um, moving that forward. And so I'm going to be working with Sarah Vance as much as I can to um, try to get that bill through. That is a, a bill the governor's had out there for a while, last session too, and this session. And um, hopefully we can get the Senate Judiciary Chair Clayman to cooperate. But if he if he doesn't, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go to battle on that and do everything I can to try to get that through. I think we've got to protect our children. You know, that's that's what we're looking at in our schools. They're going after our kids, and um, it's it's pretty weird the way some of this some of this stuff is has been um, kind of put behind a curtain, and now the curtain's open, and some people are trying to close it. And so um, that that'll be a focus area for me, and I'll do whatever I can to try to get that through on the Senate side. Of course, we will continue to be a voice um, with with Senator Shower and Senator Meyer as far as. Um, reducing the budget and um, uh, trying to strengthen the PFD. I, I think you're, I think um, I was talking to Rob, who, our messaging, I think with inflation up, um, you know, and at the AOGA conference last week, Dunleavy and Rick Perry were speaking and Dunleavy mentioned that uh, the price per barrel could shoot up. He said even to 200. Well, that would be terrible at the pump, you know, for buying gas. But um, we already saw within a couple of days, you know, I, don't, I didn't look this morning, but we were up at $92, $93. And so, um, you know, uh, that could continue to climb. So uh, really having the conversation again 
about um, trying to settle some of these matters in the long term. Um, you know, we were we've been speaking about that for a number of years. We will continue. Uh, there will be the tendency if those barrel price per barrel prices go up, there'll be the tendency to have a, a big capital budget. But I'm I'm concerned that some may still push back from settling any of those matters and taking right. care of this in the long term. But we'll push for that. That's always the double-edged sword when oil prices soar because the public gets hurt, the private economy gets hurt at the pump and the heating oil and everything else, and the government starts to expand because – in the words of Natasha, we've got so much money, we don't know what to do with it uh, when the last big spike hit, you know. So we definitely need to be uh, paying attention to that. All right. Shelly Hughes, our guest, uh, as always, good to speak with you. Thank you for coming on and uh, being part of it. Uh, we hope to visit with you more often as we get closer to session and we can talk about some of these other things. Maybe we should just have a whole show about food security. I've been wanting to do that. I couldn't get anybody on from the governor's task force. They really didn't want to come on and talk about it. So maybe it'd be something we could discuss later on. Shelly, thank you so much for being part of it. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we are out of time. We got to go. The Michael Duke Show continues tomorrow with Firearms Friday. Be kind, love one another, live well. We'll see you then. All right, Shelly, final thoughts. Uh, Give you the final, I'll give you the last word. Um, uh, You know, you notice we didn't talk about PFDs this entire time. It's like that whole issue is now dead, question mark. I mean, it's not election season, so I guess we can't talk about PFDs. But I mean, so I I don't know. Final thoughts. I don't want to take too much of your time now, but it sure would be nice to hear what what you think think is going to happen with that. If oil, as oil prices go up, if they stay up, I think it's going to make the point because it has been stated by some that have been in a long term and in, in the legislature a long time and have had reins of power. They've said we don't need a spending cap because um, the 5% draw, POMB draw from the permanent fund is our spending cap. We That's all we can get. Well, now if you have you know, revenue coming in, oil revenue coming in more than you might expect, That that's proof that you, you still need the spending cap, right? In fact, you need it desperately at that point because you're right, that's when government grows. So, um, you know, that probably be one of the points that we will really be pushing is the need for a spending cap if, uh, if the barrel prices stay up. Um, yeah, they, 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 I, I know the House majority, that was a priority for them. Um, you know, I I would hope that they may, would maybe use that in the budget negotiating process um, to hold back and say, we're not going to pass over the budget until you get a spending cap to the floor or something. I would love it if they would do that. Of course, I'm, I'm not telling them what to do, but those are the kind of things I think that they could leverage and um, show a little muscle. And, you know, I I think if oil prices go up, it would be a great, great time to say, hey, this is why we need a spending cap. You cannot just um, just say a limited draw from the permanent fund is adequate. It's not adequate. Right. Well, when they say we don't need a spending cap because the 5% is our spending cap, we don't need any more money than that. We'll just take it from the PFD. That's what it essentially comes down to. When it's no longer 50-50 or 75-25, when it's 95-5 or just... 100% of the PFD goes away. The next step 
is obviously taxes. The next, I can already see the argument. Well, you know, you Alaskans just don't pay your fair share. Your fair share. So, taxes are inevitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's it's Ed King. Ed King wrote a couple articles. I don't know. It was back in the spring, but they're really good explaining the different camps on the PFD and how yep. it relates to the budget. Really good articles. Um, yeah, we had him on to discuss those articles because that's yeah. it. Essentially, it's no longer red and blue. It's no longer donkeys and elephants. It's no longer. It is essentially bigger government, smaller government. That's pretty much it. Uh, he phrased it a little bit differently, but that's basically what it breaks down to. And the problem is, we got a whole lot of people in there who are are okay with bigger government. Screw the private economy because it doesn't affect us, and that's part of the problem that we're dealing with. All right, well, Shelly, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, again, maybe again, maybe we should set up a show here in the next couple of weeks to talk about food security because I think it's a it's a valuable topic that we should be focusing on. And uh, and like I said, I had a hard time getting anybody except for some government governor spokes critter to come in and talk about it, which was kind of amorphous. I want to talk about more specifics. So maybe we can have you back on and talk about it then. So Shelly Hughes, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on board. We will talk to you in the future. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate Good you. And your listeners. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate you coming on board. All right, folks, that does it for me for today. Tomorrow is another one. We will see you then. Firearms Friday. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. The Michael Duke Show. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show